but I believe in working hard and, and I expect the best out of myself and the best out of everybody else. CCR number 87, November 25th, 2009. This edition of Cat Crave Radio is brought to you by PanthersFans.com. Cats fans, get your Carolina Panthers fixed with all the guys and gals over at PanthersFans.com. Stay up to date with all the latest news, transactions, and discussions only at PanthersFans.com. CCR. D'Angelo Williams, 30, 25, 10, 5, hot stop! 89's in the building. Still on the mission, though. Still on the mission. Welcome to the show created and produced by fans for the fans of the Carolina Panthers. This is Cat Crave Radio. Coming up in this episode, we'll be speaking to Yahoo Sports columnist Jason Cole. Rock Hill Herald columnist Darren Gant is back with us. Nick Yeoman joins us to provide the fans' perspective. We go around the web for a new point of view, and we have a recap of the loss to the Dolphins. Any safe pass, Ricky Williams, touchdown! And he's on the sideline to go a little wildcat with Ricky Williams. Williams to the outside, to the pylon. Touchdown, Miami. Little crease for Williams. It's a foot race with Jeremiah Bell. And Bell brings him down at the 31-yard line. Third down for DeLone. Over the middle, intercepted. Nathan Jones gets the pick at the five. Second and five for the Panthers. Malone taking a shot for Smith. Touchdown. Beat Monte Davis. Williams got it. And it's a one possession game with 5.18 to go. First and 10 Miami. 4.05 to go. Ricky Williams. Chased by Martin. Ricky Williams. Touchdown. Six seconds to go. Panthers down by seven. Malone just heaves it up. And it's batted down. And the Miami Dolphins have won it 24-17. Now, bubble your chin straps because it's time for kickoff. Here is your host for CCR, John White. Those faint playoff hopes are going down the drain. Welcome to another edition of Cat Crave Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your day. One game away from making it an even 5-5 five and five on the season and improving their odds for a shot at the playoffs... The Carolina Panthers gave back the opportunity last Thursday night, losing to the Miami Dolphins 24-17. The loss drops the team to 2-3 on the season on their own field. Compare that to a perfect 8-0 at Bank of America Stadium last season. This one hurts. Why throw out a bunch of statistics? Why does it matter? I can tell you that Jake DeLome threw his first interception in four games, and the defense missed something like 100 tackles. I mean, ugly would be an understatement despite the close final score. Let's just move on quickly and try to put this one behind us as the fans take over and voice their frustrations. Hello. 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 Who's there? Who's there? It's time for Panthers fans to sound off. I just, uh, I'm frustrated after tonight's game. Twice. We got down into the red zone and gave up on the run and went straight to three and out passes. Three and out pass plays twice. Once was to start the fourth quarter after their linemen center their lines. Ferguson, the main run stopper in the middle of their defensive line, goes out at the end of the third. What do they do? Come to start the fourth quarter in the red zone with three straight pass plays. How can you fail to use the run, which got you down the field in the red zone? I don't get it. I'm confused. I'm frustrated. And John Fox needs to go. That's He's got to go because this is ridiculous. <sighs> Sorry. Frustrated Panther fan. Enjoy the show. Have a good one. Uh, yeah, this is um, Brown Noser from Charlotte. Um, just got back from the game. Um, I just wanted to say go to hell John Fox uh, you too Jake I'm sure there's some more people I'm leaving out but I, I can't really think right now I'm too tired uh, yeah go to hell 
I think we played horrible against Miami last night, and the play calling was just out of control. I predict that Carolina will have a big cleanup in the offseason. Coaching staff is gone, and we'll try to land one of the big-name coaches in the offseason because it just makes no sense. D'Angelo Williams was running the ball effectively, but Jake DeLone was throwing the ball 40-plus times. He knows Jake DeLone is at his best when you can run the ball instead of play action. But that's just my two cents. If you want to add your thoughts to the growing number of frustrated fans out there, give us a call on the Cat Crave Radio hotline at 206-350-9673. That's what we're here for, to let you call up and do your thing. Call and let out all of that frustration. Look, think of it as free therapy. That number is 206-350-9673. The loss to the Dolphins keeps Carolina in third place in the division, one game back of Atlanta, and six back of the first place New Orleans Saints. The good news is that our team is still three up on last place Tampa Bay, so at least we're safe, for now, from falling into the cellar. Next up, a trip to New Jersey and the Meadowlands garbage dump to play the New York Jets. Came down to, you know, they, uh, on their opportunity, they scored touchdowns, and some of our opportunities, we scored uh, field goals, and, you know, that's uh, probably really the difference in the game. Obviously, it's execution because we don't, you know, we're not getting it in. Uh, play calling, no, not at all. We just, um, you know, they were doing a good job, especially down in there with, um, you know, on a couple of third downs with their four-man rush, and, and they're dropping seven, and those windows are really tight to try to, you know, find some guys um, in there. But, you know, we, we can't There's no pointing fingers. We just didn't get it done. It's time now for the Panther preview. The coach uh, tells us that uh, the team came up a little short against Miami. And we got Jake saying, no, no, it's it's not. No, man, it wasn't the play calling. We just failed to execute. Right. Joining us now is Nick Yeoman. Nick, what's up, Yeoman? Oh, not much, John. They definitely failed to execute in many ways. I don't care. How any one of the coaching staff or any of the players sugarcoated, they uh, they failed in in a lot of ways last Thursday night. So how do you feel about your uh, coaching staff's execution? Oh, oh, it was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I mean, the play calling was ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I understand that you got down early and this team isn't built to come back and and win games from behind. They're built to grab a lead and then just, you know, pound the, the other team into submission with the running game. But... When the running game is working as well as it was, D'Angelo and Jonathan both were breaking off some pretty nice runs. And to just let Jake Malone throw the ball 42 times was absolutely ridiculous. I don't understand it. This is something we've seen from Jeff Davidson time and time again. And, uh, I mean, I guess the, the one the one bright spot as well, we know they're probably going to come out and run the ball pretty well against the Jets. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but... Uh, why that he he loves to just resort back to letting Jake Delhomme throw the ball so many times is absolutely ridiculous. And then on defense, um, maybe not as much the coaching staff, but to stack nine in the box and to fail to tackle Ricky Williams time and time again, uh, it was just frustrating, John. Well, I threw you a beach ball right there. That was it was this, just this big fat pitch, and you you had a chance to hit it out of the park. You you know you you know, I said, how do you feel about the coaching staff's execution you should have just said you know the rich mckay thing i'm in favor of it <laughs> yeah, no kidding i am certainly in favor <laughs> of some execution and i'd love to see it sometime soon hopefully and get this no, i mean the same day the very same day our panthers lose at home again and oprah says she's quitting i mean there's no reason to go on well, maybe Oprah, I mean, I think she's going to quit because I think she sees a potential opening with the Carolina Panthers. I don't know if Oprah can call plays or maybe even throw the ball and play quarterback, but uh, I think they should, we should take a look at her. Well, from the Department of Redundancy Department, playoffs? No, no, not at all. I don't I don't see it. This was, I mean, we talked about it. The Panthers had to win. After that win over Atlanta, they needed to win the next three. They had to beat Miami, and they had to beat the Jets and Buccaneers, which were three winnable games for this team because they've got the talent. And as soon as you drop one of them, now you've got to pick one up somewhere else, and it's got to come in that final four-game stretch where you've got the Giants, Patriots, uh, Vikings, and Saints, and I just don't see it. I mean, best-case scenario in those final four games, the Panthers – they can probably win one, maybe two. But at the same time, 
Would it really surprise you if they dropped this Jets game this weekend? Would it really surprise you if they, you know, did the unthinkable and lost to Tampa Bay? They almost did it earlier in the season. So, no, I, this team has shown no consistency in the play calling and the execution on both sides of the ball and special teams as well. Um, the playoffs, I don't think it's I don't think it's a reasonable goal right now. Well, this is not going to be pretty, but I'll ask anyway. Let's grade the defense. The defense, I'll give the defense a C. Uh, the tackling was bad, but through the first half, I mean, they didn't play bad in the second half, gave the team a chance. Um, you know, the first quarter looked pretty good. The third quarter looked pretty good. Just an average performance, but when they really needed to make those tackles, they weren't able to get it done. So I'll give the defense a C. And then let's grade that offense. Well, the offense gets a D, and it's just mainly because of the play calling, because it was ridiculous to not give – D'Angelo Williams, who's you know a top five running back yards yardage wise in the league, and I'll guarantee you he's not touching the ball as many times as some of the guys below him on that list. Uh, and then Jake Delhomme, I mean the, the passes, the throws that Jake Delhomme made, uh, I watched most of them and uh, you know analyzed them closely, and uh, they were off target, too high for receivers, behind receivers. Jake's great at putting the ball near a receiver, which is great, but you can't rely on Steve Smith to make those acrobatic. Uh, incredible catches for touchdowns so the execution just wasn't there fell behind early you know it took them to the fourth quarter before they even scored that first touchdown so I think that's pretty deserving of a D well and I hate to say this the super nice guy and I mean local guy you know from I think the Spartanburg area went to college at, at South Carolina a Gamecock from you know back in the day and a solid NFL guard but i'm sorry the guy looks like travel wharton has looked like a turnstile out there at left tackle and he's just i think he's in way over his head he is it's a, it's a swinging door out there i mean he, pass blocking wise he just travel wharton you put him in a guard position in there and you ask him to pass block and it's nice because he's got someone to his left and to his right that can help him up and pick it up uh, run blocking he's great i think he's a great run blocker but boy, he was, he had a rough game against Miami. And, you know, we talked about it last week. We kind of feared the worst, hoped for the best, maybe that someone could step up and fill Jordan Gross's role. Uh, but if, if one game shows anything, it's that uh, losing Jordan Gross is going to really, really hurt this team. I like Travell. I really do. I, he's a hard worker. He bounced back from some early injuries. But uh, I don't think he is uh, destined to have a great career playing tackle in the National Football League. You know, you can say meaner things if you say, you know, bless his heart or bless him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's a southern thing. But, I mean, you know, you, you can just you say, hey, well, bless his heart. He really sucks. Or bless his no, heart. Yeah. He's and I know he's trying. I know he's trying. He stepped <laughs> up and he's moving into another role. But, yeah, bless his heart. He, he's giving it his all and it's just not going to work. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll take a break. Coming up. We'll talk to Jason Cole. We have another perspective from around the web. And do not miss our conversation with Darren Gant. In just a minute, Nick and I are going to look ahead to the Panthers' trip to the landfill known as the Meadowlands. We're going to step out for just a minute. We'll be right back with more CCR. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out non-stop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no off-season, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. It's time once again for the game that's sweeping the nation. It's time for Boom or Bust. Joining us to play the game, it's Nick Yeoman. Nick, are you ready to play the game, sir? Yes, I am, John. Let's hit him. Let us start off with Roddy White versus the Bucks. Yeah, Roddy White, you know, he opened the season six touchdowns in seven games. He's kind of fallen off a bit. Hasn't scored a touchdown in the last three games against the Redskins, Panthers, and Giants. I think playing Tampa Bay should be exactly what he needs, though, to break loose and get back on track. I think he catches a touchdown and booms for the Falcons. Kurt Warner versus the Titans. You know, since that disastrous game that Warner had against the Panthers where he threw five picks, he's been on fire. Nine touchdowns, no interceptions in his last three games. I mean, Matt Schaub threw two touchdowns and over 300 yards and was still lost to Tennessee. So I think that could be the case. I think Warner booms, but don't expect Arizona to just walk all over the Titans. 
Cedric Benson versus the Browns. Well, the Cleveland Browns are 29th in the league in stopping the run, but I don't think Cedric Benson's going to bounce back from that hip injury as quickly as he'd like. The Bengals have some other guys that they can lean on to easily take care of the Browns. So I expect, you know, limit, limited carries for Benson, and I think he'll probably be a bust. Andre Johnson versus the Colts. Well, I expect Andre Johnson to have a big weekend against the Colts. Houston lost. One of their top passing targets a few weeks ago when Owen Daniels went down for the season. So that's meant more passes coming Johnson's way. And considering the Colts are, you know, kind of average, 218 passing yards per game that they give up, I expect Johnson to boom. Big Ben versus the Ravens. You know, this this one could go either way because this could be one of those stories where Big Ben bounces back from the concussion against one of the hardest-hitting defenses and shines, but I just don't see it. I mean, that Baltimore defense is going to send a lot of exotic looks at Big Ben, and if they knock him around a little bit, he won't play well. So I think Big Ben is a bust this weekend. Steven Jackson versus the Seahawks. Well, he's really the only weapon the Rams have now that Mark Bolger is injured, which means Seattle's going to stack the box trying to stop him. I mean, I know he's run for 100 yards in each of the last four games, and he's scored touchdowns in each of the last three, but I see that Seahawks defense stepping up big, and I think they forced Jackson to be a bust. On to our big matchup in the Meadowlands, Thomas Jones versus our Panthers. Well, there's no doubt that Thomas Jones is going to get plenty of carries, which is bad for the Panthers because of how bad they've been against the run this season. Uh, Jones got off to a rocky start to the season, but in the last five games, he's averaging 122 yards per game, so expect that to continue as Jones booms against the Panthers. Our D'Angelo Williams versus the Jets. Well, I expect D'Angelo to get plenty of carries as well because Jeff Davidson usually follows his horrible games with a run-steady game plan that should probably be in place every week, but I don't think we have enough time for me to complain about that again. The Jets defense just hasn't been the same without Chris Jenkins, so I think D'Angelo puts up some good numbers and he's a boom. Mark Sanchez versus the Panthers. Well, five touchdowns and 11 interceptions in his last five games is really all you need to know. It's, it's been a rocky start for the rookie, and I just don't see him breaking through against the Panthers for two reasons. One, the Panthers still have one of the better secondaries statistically in the league, and two, that rushing attack the Jets have should be good enough to carry the load, so I don't think Sanchez throws the ball a lot, and even when he does, he, he's been iffy, so I think he's a bust. And as always, we're going to end with Jake DeLome versus the Jets. As always, you know, if you love great quarterback play, this might not be the game for you. The Jets have actually given up fewer touchdowns through the air than Carolina has, so don't expect Jake to to bust out and torch the Jets. He'll just bust in the stack column on Sunday. Well, as always, Nick, we do appreciate you playing the game with us. Hey, thanks, John. The little show that could chugs along. Back to more Cat Crave Radio. Welcome to part two of the Panther preview. Bad loss last week and playing the AFC East. Let's do it again. This time, let's take a trip to the Meadowlands. We might find Jimmy Hoffa while we're there to play the J-E-T-S. We can spell. Joining us, yep. as always, is Nick Yeoman. Nick, the Jets. Ouch. Yeah, and, and if we've seen anything so far, those AFC East teams don't cooperate very well when you're wanting to you know, roll through and get back in the playoff position. 0 for 2 so far against probably uh, one of the worst ones in Buffalo and one of the middle of the pack runs in the Dolphins. And, and I expect the Jets to give the Panthers a good game this Sunday. You got Mark Sanchez who started off hot. And I think that's because they kept everything simple. They did the old kiss principle, keep it simple, stupid. And apparently the kid responded. And since then, and they changed up the game plan and defenses have figured him out, not so much. So kind of like a WTF thing if, you know, if you're going to text about it. So... Sanchez, do we see the good Sanchez or do we see the bad Sanchez? Well, I, I don't think we see a very good Mark Sanchez. I mean, 11 interceptions in his last five games pretty much sums it up. And the Panthers have played fairly well in the secondary against the league's, you know, some of the league's better passing attacks. So I wouldn't expect much from Mark Sanchez. But, I mean, let's be honest, the bread and butter of this New York Jets team is running the ball with Thomas Jones. So 
I think it, it, it's really gonna it's gonna depend on which team you know jumps out to an early lead and sticks to the game plan that both of these teams should be following, and that's to run the ball. Now, with that being said, who knows? Maybe we'll see the Jets or Panthers come out and, and fling it all over the place. That'll just make us uh, you know a little queasy. But I think it's gonna come down to who runs the ball better. I, I don't expect Mark Sanchez to really have a, a huge impact unless they do ask him to throw the ball. And uh, he's shown so far he's a rookie. He can make some big throws, but he also makes a lot of mistakes. So does Thomas Jones take our lunch money? That's what I'm worried about, and I certainly think he can. Um, last five games, he's averaging like 122 yards per game, something like that. So uh, it's going to be rough. And the way that the Panthers tackled last week against the Dolphins, the way Ricky Williams you know, just horsed the Panthers, it, it really, really makes you worried. So they're going to have to stack a lot of guys in the box and hope that Thomas Jones doesn't hurt him but uh so far a lot of teams have tried to stop thomas jones and haven't found a lot of success so yeah that's probably that's probably the one player on that jets team that really really makes me worry this sunday well since we're facing a team that does like to run the ball and they feature a top-notch running back besides learning how to tackle again and do a form tackle wrap him up you know and bring him to the ground what does our defense have to do against this jets team got to get penetration in the backfield and it doesn't have to be all for the defensive linemen it can be one at a time and it throws off the running back you let him dance around thomas jones is one of those guys that you know when he starts running with a full head of steam lowers his shoulders he uh, gets to that second level it's going to be tough to bring him down or even catch him so i think just someone across this defensive line has got to get some pressure maybe you throw some blitzes let john Beeson fly in there and, and clog up a hole maybe you bring chris harris from the safety position, but, I mean, really, it is. It's the tackling. It's, you know, the Department of Redundancy Department. It really is. you got to tackle a lot better than the Panthers did, and I think things would take care of themselves if you just wrap up. But I think it starts up front. It's got, you got to get some penetration from the defensive line, and if it's not going to be Julius Peppers, someone on that interior has to step up, whether it's Hollis Thomas or Tank Tyler. But we've talked about the problems the big issues between you and jake and how that's probably well i, I doubt very seriously that you know that works out in the end uh, not a happy ending and there's not going to be a happy ending between me and jeff davidson apparently so our offense versus the jets defense well yeah i mean you gotta run the football it's just as simple as that i think the jets once once they lost chris jenkins former panther once they lost him for the season they, you see, you can see it on the field. They are not uh, as stout of a defense that Rex Ryan would like them to be. So you got to run the ball and run it until they can stop it. And then you know you set, you let Jake take a couple shots. I mean, Jake's shown that, that when you limit his passes, he'll he'll sneak a couple good ones past you. Um, but so far, there's nothing. We haven't seen it from Jeff Davidson and the play calling and his coaching staff that gives you any confidence that they're going to do that. Um, so, I, I, to be honest with you, I have no idea what the game plan is going to be. I know what I want it to be, which is to run the ball. That's what it is every time. Uh, but I have no clue, no clue what we're going to expect to see uh, from the Panthers' offense on Sunday. Well, here we go. One more time with feeling. What's your prediction for the game? Well, I know that the games usually aren't one of the first quarter of the first half, but I, I actually I think that's where this one's going to be won. If the Panthers can get out to an early lead, like I expect them to, I think they've got a good enough running game to control the ball, hold on for the win. Uh, but it's the same story for the Jets. If they can jump out early and Thomas Jones controls that game late, um, I think they can pick up this win. I, I think it's the Panthers. I really, really hope that uh, the, the scrutiny and, and the comments that I hope Jeff Davidson's hearing, I hope that likes the fire on her. And, and, it, and it falls on the shoulders of John Fox as well. I mean, Fox, he's got control. He can override anything that, that Jeff Davidson calls. Get in there and take control of things, John Fox. And, and I think the Panthers will. I, I think they'll run the ball a little bit better than they did against Miami, or a little bit more. They ran the ball well against Miami, but a little bit more. And I think they pick up the win um, whether this win helps them long term, I don't really know. But I think they're able to. I think they can go on the road and beat road and beat the Jets this weekend, John. All right, one more prediction because we do have to go into that big landfill. And if you've ever been through there, anybody, you, all you have to do is just drive by and you can smell the place. Seriously, smell the place. I mean that sincerely. Give me an over under for the biggest rat that will be uh, witnessed this weekend at the Meadowlands. Rad. I'm going to say about a foot and a half. How about that? Whoa. How, what's he going to weigh? <laughs> I have no idea. Probably, probably 20, 30 pounds. I don't know. You see one of those monsters crawl out. Yeah, the big wharf rat. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. 
Yeah, we, we you're going to see a few of those. They're going to crawl up out of the uh, out of a diaper that's been buried in the ground there for a few years, I guess. It, it'll happen. <laughs> well, well, Nick, we appreciate you being with us on the Panther Preview, and can we uh, talk you in again to uh, sticking around for a pick 'em? Yeah, absolutely, John. I appreciate it. Thanks. This is Cat Crave Radio. Joining us now is Yahoo Sports columnist Jason Cole. Jason, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, always good to be here. Jason, we've got a few problems here with our Panthers. At 4-6, and six, yeah. uh, well, we don't look so good right now for the playoffs. Maybe the postseason would be out of the question. So it looks like we've got issues to fix. In your mind, I mean, what would you see as the beginning of kind of the recipe to fix the problems with this team? Wow. Uh, I think that they need to make a transition from Jake DeLome to a younger quarterback. It's hard to find, a, I mean, it's hard to find a good veteran quarterback in the offseason. And I think that, that, you know, that that's a temporary fix, even if you do. I mean, if you get a guy, you're, you're getting a guy like Kerry Collins, who's you know closer to the end than to the beginning patchworking it that way I think that you need to start fresh at that position you know that may require that you play Jake for another year maybe even two while you get somebody ready but uh, to me that's the way to go because Jake is I think proven to be you know and ultimately a more of a liability than a help I mean he's been had a nice career uh, give him a lot of credit you know great Super Bowl that he played in but that was years ago now and he just has this propensity for making mistake, you know, critical mistakes at difficult junctures. And uh, you know, that interception in the second half against the uh, against the Dolphins on Thursday night is just another example of that. And you know, this being a what have you done for me lately league, uh, everybody normally will point to two guys. It's usually the starting quarterback and the coach. And John Fox is taking a lot of heat. The fans are coming down on him pretty hard. But how much? And I guess this. They actually do go together, but how much heat should uh, should we be seeing soon, if not already, on Marty Herney? Well, there's look when you're not playing well, there's plenty of blame to go around. But you have to you have to take a step back sometimes and say, is my anger just because I am emotionally spent and I don't like losing at this moment, or am I looking at something and I say that this can't be fixed and these people have no idea what they're doing? And I think that when you look at John Fox and when you look at Marty Herney and you say, are these people who are smart enough to fix it? I think the answer is yes. And that's why I would give those guys another opportunity. I wouldn't you know, be ready to just throw them overboard right now. Um, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, they've been far better on the whole in making that team a contender for a long period of time. So, you know, yeah, did they make a good decision? You know, did they make a good decision with Jake DeLome to sign him to a big contract and long term? Probably not. But the contract is not so bad that you can't get out of it at that, at that moment in time. Coming off the season they had last year, you know, they were fine. And is the defense okay? Yeah, generally the defense is okay. Do you have some issues here with Julius Peppers? You know, you know that's been an, an annual thing. But that's more of a contract issue than it is a personnel issue. Obviously, they picked. I agree, and definitely with one year left on his deal, it would be, well, I'm not sure that it would happen that this team, this organization, would buy him out. So I think Fox probably stays put. So I agree with you. I think the, I think he probably stays. But speaking of Richardson, uh, I guess of all of the owners, it's a little unusual for the smaller market team to, to be in that position. But I think it's because of the owner and Jerry Richardson and the respect that he has among the other owners in the league as an organization, how do you think this organization, I mean, among other NFL teams, is viewed? Well, I think that there was a view that there was some stability there until this the season began and he you know, got rid of his sons. And I think there's some question there about, you know, writing the ship. Is that is this thing going the way that you would hope it to be going? But, I, you know, I, I haven't gotten a really clear view of what's going on behind closed doors with that team. They've been pretty... You know they've kept things pretty pretty well locked up. To get a big picture, obviously there you know there was there were some disagreements about which direction to go. But you don't know you don't necessarily know who was right in that one. I think that 
it's uh, until this time it's been viewed as a very stable organization. The question is, how are they going to come out of this changeover at the top of the organization, and what is Jerry's role going to be? I mean, Jerry's you know highly respected around the league, negotiate uh, you know the collective bargaining agreement, and that's you know that's helped the league a lot. So we'll see where this goes going forward. I would have a hard time believing that Jerry, though, coming off of that heart ailment, is going to have a lot to do with high-level negotiations. Well, we've got the Jets this week, a trip to the Meadowlands on Sunday. Well, <laughs> we've got an emotional coach up there, apparently, who has um, now twice this season, from what I understand, um, made it a habit of of crying prior to games. Do you think we see a few more tears from Rex Ryan? You know, they, they got a, that's a, that, that team is difficult to figure out because they do have an awfully good defense. The problem is the quarterback is letting them down. And, and not that the quarterback's a bad player. I think that eventually Mark Sanchez is going to be a, a really good one. But they put so much expectation on him and so much belief that they could win with a young quarterback quickly. And that, you know, I mean, I, I know Matt Ryan did well. I know Joe Flacco did well. I know that Ben Roethlisberger obviously had an outstanding rookie season. But, you know, this is different, and, and, and they, you know, as good as the defense is for the Jets, it's not a dominating defense, and as good as the running game is for the Jets, it's not a dominating running game. So they put an awful lot on Mark Sanchez, and, and that has backfired on them, obviously. And I think that this is more proof that if you're a young guy trying to play quarterback in the NFL, you're best served by, you know, playing you know, your entire, you know, four-year career in college and getting... You know, as much experience at a level where you know every loss doesn't you know mean the end you know doesn't mean doom and gloom. You know, Mark Sanchez only had the 16 starts at college, and I think it's really starting to show. Well, you know, you started off so hot. I mean, do you think now that and and I know the New York media, the New York fans can be a little fickle. We can all be fickle, but after he started off so well as a rookie, I mean, they had to be you know thinking great things in New York, and then. Yeah, but I mean, I, I understand, I hear that, but people who were expecting such great things after that start really weren't watching what was going on and weren't really understanding how football works. In those first three games, when he did play well, he was only making two or three throws a game that, that really counted. And for the vast majority of those games, he was not being asked to make any big plays. He was being asked to do you know, very little, as opposing teams have figured him out and said, okay, how do we attack this guy? What do we go after? They've forced him to make more plays, and he's just not ready. Now, not that he won't be ready someday if he can, you know, keep his, you know, his mind together and not let the pressure of playing in New York get to him, but the reality is that, you know, <laughs> people, people put too much into the victories and didn't look at the real side of of how how the football was actually being played. Well, Jason, as always, we really appreciate you uh, taking time to talk to us this week. And uh, again, thanks for being with us. No problem. Take care. Don't leave us in the dark, Panthers fans. Send us your thoughts and comments to catcraveradio at gmail.com. Again, that's catcraveradio at gmail.com. CCR will return. Ranger Station. Yeah, hi. I'd like to report a bear sighting in the forest. Uh-huh. One second I'm having a smoke. Next thing I know, I'm face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Wow. And he told me it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. Did you know nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous and you're not. Get your Smokey on. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. It's time once again to pick some games. Joining us for that very task, it is Nick Yeoman. Last week, Nick was 13 up and 3 down after having a pretty rough 8 and 7 week. The week before, Nick, you, you made a nice recovery. Are you ready to pick more? I am ready to pick some games. Let's, uh, let's try to build some momentum and get rolling here. Here are your Week 12 matchups. We start you off with... Packers-Lions. Well, the Green Bay Packers are playing really good football, and it's been their defense that's carried them the last few weeks against playoff contenders like Dallas and San Francisco. I think that continues again this week. Don't expect Matt Stafford to throw five touchdowns. Actually, he might not even play, so give me the pack in this one. 
Raiders and Cowboys. Well, Oakland pulled one out of nowhere against the Bengals last week, but that was at home. This Thursday, they play in Dallas, and it's Thanksgiving, which means the Cowboys will be strong. The Cowboys are going to need to score more than seven points this week to get the win, but against the Raiders, I don't think that's going to be a problem, so I'll take Dallas. Giants and Broncos. My house things have changed for the Denver Broncos. They were 6-0, and and thinking that a first-round buy in the playoffs could be achievable, they dropped four straight and are just hoping they can figure out what's wrong and still make the playoffs. The Giants know all about four-game losing streak as, as they endured one of their own earlier this season. The Giants, I think, are the better all-around team, so I'm going to take New York to feast on the Broncos for another loss. Bucks and Falcons. Atlanta's hit a rough stretch of their own losing four or five, but playing Tampa Bay should be enough to get their playoff hopes back in line. They fought back but came up short against the Giants, and I think that probably left a sour taste in the mouths of guys like Mike Smith and Matt Ryan. I think they take it out on the Bucks and win fairly easily on Sunday. Dolphins and Bills. Well, the Dolphins wanted to stay in that playoff, ch- playoff chase a little bit more than the Panthers did last Thursday, and now they find themselves... Just one game out in the AFC. It's always tough to play in Buffalo, however, and it's tempting to take the Bills here because they've looked pretty good at times uh, in their last two losses against Tennessee and Jacksonville, but I'm going to take Miami to pull this one out. This should be uh, one of those classic AFC East battles. comes right down to the final few seconds, but I'm going to take the Finns. Seahawks and Rams. Yeah, four wins and 16 losses this year between the two teams. Seattle has a habit of just laying absolute eggs this season. I don't know where it's coming from, and I know they've won more games than the Rams, but Steve Spagnuolo's team, they at least compete each and every week. I think it pays off here. I think the Rams fans get something to cheer about, and St. Louis picks up win number two for the season. Cardinals and Titans. Well, I am impressed with this Tennessee Titans team, and boy, I wish the Carolina Panthers would take a look at what they've done. I mean, it doesn't matter how badly you start the season. If you have talent like the Titans and Panthers both have, there's no reason you can't come together as a team, face some adversity, and start stringing wins together. The Titans fans are going to make it tough on the Cardinals, who historically don't play well when they have to travel long distances across the country. So I'm going to take Tennessee for a fifth straight. I'm really impressed with what Vince Young and, and, uh, and Coach Fisher's doing over there. Redskins and Eagles. Well, the Eagles have struggled with short yardage plays, and I think they have the answer in Mike Vick in the backfield to keep the defenses on their heels. I don't think it's even going to matter, though, because the big play threat is what makes this Philly team so dangerous. So I think McNabb hooks up with Deshaun Jackson for a couple big plays, and the Eagles hold on for a win over the Skins. Browns and Bengals. Well, Cincinnati just, they need to shake off whatever the heck happened last week against Oakland, and Cleveland's just the team to do it against. The Browns did last week what they absolutely do best, and that's snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. So I'm going to take the Bengals to bounce back and stay in contention of grabbing a first-round bye in the playoffs. Colts and Texans. I don't know how Indianapolis keeps pulling out these wins, but it is pretty darn impressive. They're back in Houston, where if you remember back last year, they pulled one out when Sage Rosenfeld just decided to start handing out early Christmas presents. I expect this one to go right down to the wire like so many Colts games have gone this year, and I think uh, Indianapolis survives another one, picks up another win. Chiefs and Chargers. Yeah, don't know now, but the San Diego Chargers are heating up. I wasn't really a believer after their mediocre start this season, but they've knocked off some solid teams and are also in contention to grab a first-round buy if they stay hot. Uh, if this game was in KC, I'd give the Chiefs a legitimate shot, especially after that win they had against Pittsburgh, the upset. But considering the Chargers are going to have the home crowd behind them, I think that's going to be enough to push them to their eighth win for the season. Jaguars and Niners. This is another winnable game for the intriguing 6-4 and four Jaguars. They'd be in the playoffs if they started right now, but I think San Francisco... Gives them too rough of a game to pull it out on the road. That's a long flight from Jacksonville, Florida, out to San Francisco, California, and I think uh, the flight home is going to feel even longer when the Niners send uh, Jack Del Rio home with a loss. Bears and Vikings. Well, Brett Favre loves playing the Bears, and he is getting them at a great time when they're vulnerable. Chicago is searching for answers, and all they're getting is just more Jay Cutler interceptions. I see Brett Favre shining as the better quarterback, and he leads the Vikings to another win. Steelers and Ravens. I really do love when these two teams play because it almost guarantees, it's almost guaranteed to be the hardest-hitting game of the year. I think the fact that Ben Roethlisberger was rattled last week will carry over. Both 
Baltimore has to find a way. they got to start turning those field goal scoring drives into touchdowns. And against the Steelers, that's not going to be easy. But I think Baltimore breaks through and they get that much-needed win against the Steelers. Patriots and Saints. Well, this is going to be one heck of a test for the Saints, who still have yet to lose a game. The Superdome is going to be loud, but I think Tom Brady can handle it. That loss to Indianapolis is still fresh in Brady and Belichick's minds, and I have a feeling they're going to want to come out and make a statement to a national audience against the Saints. I think the perfect season stops here for Drew Brees and the Saints. I'm going to take the Patriots for the win. Dare I make you say it again, Panthers and Jets. I, I don't know, John. I, I'm picking the Panthers. I think they run the ball, they jump out to an early lead, and I think the Panthers can hold on for the win. Maybe they'll put Jeff Davidson on the inactive list. Hey, you and I would uh, love that. You know that. <laughs> well, Nick, we will continue to keep score. We appreciate you uh, picking the games for us. Hey, thanks, John. Have a good week. This is Chris Harris, and you listen to Cat Crave Radio. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, John White. We've added a new method for you to stay in touch with us. You can now call us on the Cat Crave Radio hotline. Call 206-350-9673 and leave a message. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the team or tell us what you think about the show. If your thoughts are good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter. Just tell us whatever is on your mind. Call us at 206 350 9673. You've got mail. It's time to take a trip around the web to check the pulse of Panther Nation. What's going on, Panthers fans? My name is Eric Quackenbush. Uh, you can check me out on blogtalkradio.com slash blitzradio. And also give us a look over at quinsportslifemedia.com. That's quinn, Q-U-I-N-N, sportslifemedia.com. We cover the Panthers. We cover all the uh, NFL teams and also cover sports by the season, MLB, NBA, NCAA, all your basketball and football stuff. So give us a check out over there to quinsportslifemedia.com. Going to talk to you a little bit today about the terrible loss for the Panthers on Thursday night against the Dolphins. A couple of things that I saw, the worst was the play calling. We had uh, really bad red zone efficiency, 0 for 2 in the red zone. Too much pass plays, uh, DeLum overthrowing receivers too much, especially on the deep ball. The other part that was kind of disturbing is when you saw the success of the run game early on, you know, you're getting gains of 10 yards, you know, 12 yards, 15 yards just on one play. You know, you watch once again the coaching staff, they kind of scrapped the running game deal and went more with a just a big passing plan. So definitely wasn't something that's characteristic of this team, not typically anyway. It seems to be this year that they're using the, you know, the, the passing play calls a lot. The statistic has been that DeLome is, you know, over 30 passes in a game. He's terrible. So, again, it's just, you know, you, you run the ball. You, they didn't play to their strengths. They got away from their bread-and-butter type of offense and uh, just really terrible. The pass protection was bad. They allowed five or six sacks on DeLome. So I just wasn't too impressed with the overall performance on offense. And, of course, like I said, most of it was stemming from the poor play calling from the sideline. On the defensive side of the ball, the run defense was ineffective. They allowed the Dolphins' Ricky Williams 119 yards plus two touchdowns. Along with it was a receiving touchdown. And then they also allowed 154 yards of total run offense from the Dolphins. Uh, you watch Dolphins quarterback Chad Henney. He had a terrific night. I don't. I couldn't even imagine how many times he threw the ball for the Dolphins. The big deal has been, well, you know, the Dolphins without Chad Pennington, uh, can they be as effective as they were? Uh, Chad Henney's come a long way, and he's been looking really good for them. Definitely looked good against our Panthers. So I wasn't too happy with that. And then the pass defense allowed too much cushion for the Dolphins' passing game. Most notably, Chris Gamble looked, he looked off. Richard Marshall, he actually looked like a number one corner compared to Chris Gamble. So I don't really know how that's going to be addressed. I don't really know if it's a product of Ron Meek's defensive system, but it just, it looked sloppy. Pass defense looked sloppy. I understand with Julius Peppers having the injured hand, you're not going to get the kind of production from him that you'd like to see. Lately, he's been coming along since the beginning of the season anyway. Uh, he was looking a lot better. Then we have our losses, you know, losing Thomas Davis on defense. That's a big blow. 
Losing Jordan Gross on the offensive line was a huge blow. That also accounts for the lack of protection for DeLome on the offensive line. You have two inexperienced linemen, the one not having started a game, I think it was, and the other not having played in a game for a couple of years. So you just have a couple of situations there where the production's down and everything just looks to have fallen apart. I'm still not on the bandwagon of getting rid of John Fox, not at this point anyway. He's trying to sell everybody the idea that, you know, this team can still go 10-6 and six and still make a last-ditch effort to make a playoff run. I'm not quite buying into that either. You look at the, the schedule ahead, and it's very daunting. I look at the schedule, and I think, well, out of the remaining teams to be played, there's the potential to win two, maybe three more games. And then also what was up with Dwayne Jarrett being relied upon so much on third down conversions. Just have to see how they do this week uh, when they come up to New Jersey to play the New York Jets. Once again, it's it's just a, a chance for them to hopefully turn something around and get another rhythm going because in two weeks they go and play the New England Patriots, which is even worse. Uh, I've been saying this all year, but hopefully they get back to their running game a little bit more. I mean, I look at Thursday night's game and... I personally think that had you given each running back six more carries and you had gone for the running game both times that you were in the red zone, probably be looking at a different result. Panthers are probably sitting on a 5-5 five and five record. Just have to keep an eye on what they do uh, in the off season. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot of changes that could be made. I think a lot of it depends on the outcome of this year's record. Panthers owner Jerry Richardson, he's a he's a good man, smart man, and he's going to make the right decisions as to coaching personnel and whatnot. So that's about all I have for you today. Once again, check me out on Blog Talk Radio. The address is blogtalkradio.com slash blitzradio. And also check us out over at quinsportslifemedia.com. That's Q-U-I-N-N, quinsportslifemedia.com. Thanks for listening. Joining us now, it's, well, my favorite reporter from the Rock Hill Herald that covers the Panthers. He might be the only reporter with the Rock Hill Herald that covers. Either way, Darren Gann is joining us uh, from the Rock Hill Herald. Darren, thanks for being with us. Yeah, you should really meet some of our other guys. Barry Byers, in particular, (laughs) is is a prince among men. You should, we'll have you down. You can meet the whole staff, John. Okay, good. Then, you know, then I'll probably, I, I might have a different favorite after that, you know. Probably so. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> well, listen, I, I have been a just, I've been terrible because this is the fourth time I've had you on, and the last two times I missed this. I didn't ask you about it, and I should have. Because you wrote in an article recently that the organization is kind of high on Jeff Davidson and that they might consider him as a candidate to replace John Fox? Um, I mean, is there. Is there a, a whisper or two in the hallway? Well, no, i tell you what that, that stems from mostly, John. Jeff is pretty well thought of. I know, you know, a lot of this sounds crazy given the way the season's gone. And, you know, but I can tell you one of the things that Marty Herney, the GM, believes in deeply, and it's something that Bobby Beathard taught him long ago, is when, when the whole is going badly, it's hard to, it's hard to evaluate individual parts, and you got to be careful when you're doing that. I mean, that's you know, one of his core philosophies and something, you know, every reporter that's covered the team for long enough has certainly heard Marty say time and again. And I tell you what, as it applies to Jeff, he is an exceedingly bright guy. He's got a, he's got a good theory of offense that they believe in. He's a guy that they think has a future. And I tell you, not even, not just in the Panthers organization, but in talking to people with other teams, Jeff Davidson is a guy who a lot of people believe is going to be a head coach one day. And I don't know that this season did him any favors, obviously, uh, along that career path. But I think it's reasonable to think that, you know, down the line, Jeff's going to be one of those guys who, who's interviewing for those kind of jobs. Whether, you know, whether there's a vacancy here and whether he's, you know, going to be up for it remains to be seen. I would guess, you know, if something did happen to John after this season, I think they would probably interview Jeff at, at least. Well, we even saw one of his underlings head off to Denver to head up their offense. But, and I, I got to say this, and I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't want to be, and I normally wouldn't do this. I, I normally don't disagree so much. But what I have seen, and, and, I, and I'm sure I'm not alone here, and that is that 
recently, especially, and I can point out a lot of instances, especially against New Orleans, the Miami, and, and that to me was a debacle, but the, the play calling has just been, I mean, it's it's been atrocious. I mean, I mean, can you... Can you tell me, you know, assure the fans, I mean, is the organization, are they paying attention to this? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I knew when you started down the Davidson track where this was heading. I mean, obviously, you know, things don't look good right now, mostly because those play calls haven't worked. And there's been some instances, I think the Buffalo game and the Miami game in particular, where it got away from them a little bit. And I think even if you go back to last year's Arizona game, there is a tendency to you know, not be as persistent running the ball as maybe you ought to. I don't think 14-3 is such a deficit that it's got to be as lopsided pass run as it was last week. And, you know, that's that's one of those things. When you're dealing with a guy who's young in his play calling career, I think there are times it's gotten away from Jeff a little bit. But uh, the other thing you've got to remember, and I thought it was uh, the point was driven home to me last week with Dan Henning being here. So you got to be careful on those play calls because unless you check the fingerprints on every one of them, you don't know specifically where they came from. I mean, Jeff Davidson's the offensive coordinator. Jeff Davidson calls the plays. But there's another uh, there's another voice in that line of communication between uh, his lips and Jake's ears, and that's John Fox. And, you know, people used to rail on Dan Henning for being too conservative. Well, John Fox says maybe Dan Henning wasn't conservative enough. So I, I think, as you saw in late in the Henning administration, there was a lot of John Fox input. And I think there's a lot of John Fox input in it now. I think they're being really careful with Jake because they didn't want to see, you know, his career basically go down the toilet because of the horrible start to the season he had. You know, we, we saw, I mean, and Jake has struggled. It's been, you know, I mean, it's, it's this has just not been his year. And the, I, I don't know if this was uh, something that you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, maybe a, a matter of overcoaching, maybe it's just something got in his head. But if you want to protect him, maybe have a pitch count during the game, that's fine, but and I, and some of those 41, 42 passes against Miami, I mean, that came in in garbage time or trying to catch up, you know, because they were behind. But I mean, D'Angelo Williams, probably your best offensive player currently, and twelve carries. I mean, you know, maybe this is maybe this does come back to John Fox. Yeah, and I think it does. And you know, I ginned up stat the other week and have updated a time or two. And so, pardon me if I'm not specific on the numbers, but I, off the top of my head, in his career as the Panthers starter, Jake is 13 and 32. I believe the number is when he throws 30 or more passes in a game, compared to 46 and 8 when he throws 29 or fewer. So I think there's a pretty clear line there, and I think it just speaks to really the overall phenomenon with Jake. And my belief has always been and continues to be that Jake's enough of a quarterback to help a good team win. Now, certainly he struggled this year, and, you know, it's not easy to say, hey, Jake DeLome's not the devil. You know, I know nobody in Charlotte really wants to hear that right now, but I don't think they've done Jake a lot of favors in some games with the play calling because – you know, there are things Jake can do, and that's move the ball downfield play action-wise. But Jake's always been a guy and always will be a guy, whether it's here or anywhere else, who needs a good running game around him, who needs protection from an offensive line because he's not a mobile guy. So I think, you know, while Jake's taken the brunt of the criticism this year, there have been some pretty significant problems around him that have kind of contributed to some of that too. And I think some of it is coaching. I mean, you saw Rip Sharer. Uh, you know, get out of his head a few weeks ago. You saw him go no huddle to kind of put him in that rhythm game that he's a little more comfortable in. And I think some of those were pretty clear, you know, pretty clear statements that we tried doing some things with Jake that weren't necessarily wise. So let's backtrack and put him back doing what he's done well. And, I mean, you know, for all the struggles early, you know, he's thrown one interception the last four weeks. So we'll see, you know, the back half of the season if – He's going to go back to being the Jake we've always known over six years or whether the first half of the season is the rule now. Well, I mean, you know, this is, you know, all I do here is Panthers. And, I, you know, I guess I show a bias. And I'm sure you can tell by, you know, by my tone that I'm a little nonplussed. And 
maybe I am, I might be taking the easy way out. Fans do this, you know, we, we attack because, you know, our team isn't in line to succeed, but here we are with a, an offensive coordinator we're all really, really down on, and a new defensive coordinator, I mean, please tell me that Ron Meeks's defense doesn't include the no-tackling scheme. <laughs> well, it looked better <laughs> when it had Thomas Davis in it, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did. Um, you know, it, it's... This year's been, I'll be honest with you, John, this year's been off from the start. I mean, we talked about this when we were together down in Spartanburg. There's something missing from this team. There's a little something off, and I think, you know, it was reasonable to believe that Ron Meeks was going to have a little bit of a lag time during which he was teaching a new defensive scheme to these guys. I think you saw that the first three games, coupled with some injuries, and then they started to put some things together right about the time they got some guys back. And obviously, losing Thomas Davis, I mean, he was your best defensive, he was your most consistent defensive player over the course of the year. And to lose him the way they did in New Orleans, non-contact play, is obviously a tough blow. But, you know, it's this one This one just had the markings of a season that wasn't going to go quite right from an early, you know, from an early stage. I remember when Maque went down in in training camp, and the lead on my story the next day was, they can only hope this isn't an omen. Well, in hindsight, it looks like it might have been. Yeah, it probably was, and based on that, and I was going to throw you an agree or disagree, you know, true or false statement, I think I know your answer to this. I guess I'll ask anyway. This is the most maddening team in the history of the franchise. <laughs> I think it's right up there. I, this <laughs> one reminds me so much of 2006, John. Yeah. If you remember, I mean, that year, it, it looked like everything was right on track. You know, they go out and they sign Keyshawn Johnson, and, you know, here they go. They finally got that, you know, big-time compliment to Steve Smith that he's always like. Jake was coming off a Pro Bowl year. You know, Deshaun Foster and, and D'Angelo Williams was going to be that one-two punch at running back. Everything looked right. Everything seemed like it was setting up perfectly. And there was just never any, you know, there was never any flow to that team. There was never any chemistry that was evident to me. You know, it was just always a team, even to the end of the season, that was looking around at itself going, why, why are we 8-8? Why is this team not any better? And, you know, I think there's a lot of that going on right now because for all the injuries they've had, you know, you can look back. If you want to dissect individual games, there are three or four that easily could have been wins but for a play or two the other way. And and that's what's frustrating, you know, so much to these guys. It, it is. It's a, it's a hard team to figure probably right up there with 06 in terms of, you know, Lord only knows what to expect this week. Well, I, I know I'm harping here. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm harping. I harp on. You know, I'm, it's I'm a, the season. Yeah, call me a harpist um, because the, the the last one is, I hate to say this, this could get me shot in some places, I'm sure. But Dan Henning outcoached his old team last Thursday night. True or false? Uh, sure, true. I mean, look at... What Dan Henning was doing last Thursday night was an awful lot like what Dan Henning was doing in 2002. I mean, Chad Henney, Ricky Williams, and the law firm of Devon Bass and Ted Ginn. I mean, give me a break. How much different is that than, you know, Rodney Pete, Lamar Smith, who I think we should call single trouble, um, you know, and the receivers they had in 02. I mean, it's just... Dan Henning's been making chicken salad out of chicken parts for a long time. And, you know, I think that's when a when, coaches enjoy that. Coaches, you know, everybody has fun. You know, if you were Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator, how much fun would it be to just go out and draw up X's and O's knowing they were going to be flawlessly executed? It's a lot harder, a lot more gratifying to get points out of lesser talent. You know, that's what Dan's done before. And, and I think it's fair to say easily that Dan outcoached him because – and Tony Sperano, too, because that Dolphins team, you know, they've got a lot of similarities to past Panthers teams we've seen before, you know, just in the way they are built, just in kind of the attitudes of, you know, the people in charge. It's it's just been it's just one of those seasons, I guess, and I you know I've I've got the attitude problem, but uh, okay, I got you know it's it's not bad. Everybody's not entitled to win every year, and uh, you know it's it, sure. I mean, and that's the thing. I I'm fortunate in that I don't have to have an emotional involvement in this team because they probably would drive me crazy, just like they do fans. I mean, but, you know, it's you step back and you look at it. 
a little clinically, I guess you could say. I mean, and the reality is not everybody gets to win every year, and this is not their year, and it certainly falls into the pattern they've established. Playoff 7-9, playoff 7-9. And, you know, it, sure, it drives everybody nuts. We'll see, you know, over the next six weeks and then the month beyond that what it's going to mean for the 2010 Carolina Panthers. Yeah, we'll we'll play that one out, and um, I, guess, I guess I'm down now to – Okay, dollar menu. Uh, we'll get, I'll get you something off the dollar menu uh, come July or August. For the <laughs> yeah, I don't thing. think those 50 are coming for Gary, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, and that's the thing. That's what you're going to, that's what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. It's going to be can Gary Barnage turn into a full time tight end? You know, can, you know, whether it's Dwayne Jarrett. Kenny Moore, who's fallen off the radar, Charlie Martin, are they going to be able to find a productive receiver for 2010 out of that crew? Because, let's face it, I mean, Moose is in the Moose is in the victory lap phase of his career right now. He had a good game two weeks ago against Atlanta and got everybody excited that maybe he was going to be that missing piece again, and he came right back to earth last week. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think the last six weeks are kind of a – fill in the blank they're sort of scrambling to get through i mean they've got injuries now and and the backups are are getting hurt i mean we put it up on our blog a little bit ago landon johnson's probably going to go on injured reserve uh this afternoon or tomorrow because of the knee injury he suffered the other day against miami and you know he was filling in for thomas and now you're getting into the third line at that position and you know thinking back about you know what they went through a defensive tackle earlier in the year and you know, this thing, looking back on it, has been a little bit of a mess. Oh, it's yeah, it's been a big mess. We'll be talking about 2010. If not already, we'll be at least really kicking into that gear soon. But, Darren, as always, we uh, we appreciate you being with us and uh, taking time to talk to us. Yeah, anytime, John. And and we're still thankful, though. It's Thanksgiving week, man. It can't it can be all doom and gloom. A little turkey and a little stuffing, some mashed potatoes, we'll all feel better. Well, trip to fan. I'll take care of you on Thursday afternoon. And here you go. If you want to be thankful for something, eat that turkey Thursday afternoon and watch the Detroit Lions. It could be worse, John. Yeah, it could make that will make you feel <laughs> a lot better about you, about your fandom. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, you know that. There's your perspective. It could always be worse. Ain't much to hang your hat on, but it's something, I guess. Yeah, it's not the trip to fan that puts us to sleep. It's the Lions. No kidding, Packers, Lions, that ought to take care of it, buddy. Thank well, have you. a good Thanksgiving, and, and everybody out there who listens and, you know, reads us at heraldonline.com, we appreciate you. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. Well, Darren, we appreciate your work, too. Thanks, John. You know, there may be some in NFL circles who are high on him, but certainly not me. Just in case, let me spell it out. I ain't no fan of Jeff Davidson, all right? Is it time for an online petition? Maybe somebody will start one if they haven't already. Oh yeah, one final thing before we head out. You heard Eric earlier in the Around the Web segment. Well, he informs me that a Panthers fan is attempting to sell their Carolina Panthers loyalty on eBay for the cool price of a thousand bucks. So what? What's worse is that they claim that, and, and I'm quoting here, This is what they say. I am selling my loyalty to the Carolina Panthers football team. The winning bidder will decide what team I will be loyal to. I will send pictures of me and my family either at the games or watching on TV. I will also buy the team products for the next 10 years. I've been loyal to the Panthers since they became an NFL team. End quote. Well, here's hoping that a fan of the Detroit Lions, no wait, the Cleveland Browns, no, 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 wait, the Oakland Raiders buys your loyalty. Now, how are you going to feel when you have to hand your money over to a dimwit like Al Davis? That dude's cheese slid off his cracker about 20 years ago. When the Panthers are winning enough to get into the playoffs, okay, every other year and not every year, you'll be rooting for a team then that consistently wins between one and three games, the Raiders, you doofus. Look, come on now, winning or losing, thick or thin, you always stick with your team no matter what. On that note, my prediction, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 we can spell 20, Carolina Panthers 17. 
I want to thank Jason Cole for joining us this week. His columns are located on the web at Yahoo Sports. My thanks to Darren Gant for speaking to us despite my attitude. Check out Darren's work at the Rock Hill Herald. Our appreciation also goes to Eric Quackenbush for taking part. You can find him at Blog Talk Radio slash Blitz Radio and at QuinnSportsLifeMedia.com. And as always, my thanks to Nick Yeoman for joining us. Nick can be found on YouTube by searching for Big Nick 2700. Nick, you are awesome, dude. Our issues are corrected, by the way, over at iTunes. Yes, they are. Be sure to subscribe to the show and drop us a review while you're there. Give us a follow on Twitter at twitter.com slash catcraveradio. And a reminder to call us anytime, day or night, on the Cat Crave Radio hotline. Let us know what's on your mind. The number is 206-350-9673. Again, that number is 206-350-9673. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show throughout the year, and we wish you all a great Thanksgiving and a wonderful holiday season. I'm John White. Thanks again for listening to the show. We hope to be back inside of your listening device once again next week with another edition of Cat Crave Radio. In a world dominated by media giants and conglomerates, there is a little show that dares to reach for greatness. And we promise to keep reaching as long as there's someone listening. Never fear, CCR will return. Your Panthers crew will return in one week with another assault on the World Wide Web. All material, copyright 2009, Cat Crave Radio. Stand and cheer for the Panthers in our grand old day. Nothing could be finer than to be in Carolina for a Panther football game.